Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 3, in our quest to uh, understand this epistle as those that first received it and have that sort of understanding through our study. This is September the 24th, 2023, and um, just thinking about this study, as I always do, um, it brings other thoughts to my mind. One of the things uh, that we do, I think, and one of the ideas or the hopes that people have is to have some sort of Christian uh, union, if you will, uh, in the faith. In other words, all thinking uh, to have the same mind in Christ as your brother and sister. You know, this is a, kind of a goal, if you will. 
even though it it may seem impossible, um, it doesn't mean that everyone's the same person. It simply means that on these things we are thinking alike, according to the scriptures. That's what we have for our basis, and that really, in some ways, it makes it easier for us to do if we would just give it a chance. <clears throat> it reminded me of a statement that was made uh, in this country in the year 1859 by a man named uh, Richardson, Brother Richardson as he was known. <clears throat> but he said this at, at an assembly uh, as a speaker, and it was recorded in the uh, Millennial Harbinger, it was printed and recorded there and sent out to people across the country in those days. That Millennial Harbinger was edited by Alexander Campbell. But this is what Brother Richardson had to say. <coughs> Excuse me. There can be no Christian union unless there first be Christian unity. Now, they're not the same word. Uh, we have to have unity first. And he go, went on to say this, For since oneness with Christ and in Christ is the very essence of Christianity, we must first have true Christians. Well, I think no one would argue that we want true Christians. Um, and I'm not going to debate that today or go any further than how do we know that we are a true Christian? It's because our faith, what we speak, what we believe, and what we hold as God's own truth is also the very same thing that the apostles of Christ taught in the first century. That is the unity that we... By the way, this isn't... It may be voluntarily uh, come to by us. We, we do do it on our own. We make our own decision. But that doesn't mean that it isn't required. Because it is required to have fellowship with the apostles' teaching and doctrine and with the Lord and with his Father uh, that are in heaven. And that fellowship is what we're looking for, friends. Amen. All right. Now, I say all this because uh, what we're going to be looking at here, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of that. In other words, one group worried about another group. How are they doing? How is their resolve uh, are they standing fast in Christ? Um, this is what we're finding being uh, wrote, written about here in Thessalonians in the third chapter. <clears throat> and until we know, until we have the assurance, until we are understanding where people are at, we we have we're uncomfortable about it if we're thinking. Uh, as we should, I believe, because this is a very important thing. 
Now, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to look at the first six verses. And, of course, we are reading from Young's literal translation, where he does a, a, a fairly good job in his translations, um, I believe. And we'll start with the first six verses. I think this is where we, we should break. We could go to verse 7, but verse 7 uh, through 13 kind of fit together, so we'll just do the first six right now. And it says this, Wherefore, no longer forbearing, we thought good to be left in Athens alone. In other words, they had left, of course, they had departed Thessalonica some time ago, and uh, but now they were in Athens, uh, basically alone, but here's what Paul says. And did send Timothy, Timothy, our brother, and a ministrant of God, and our fellow workmen in the good news of the Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. And I believe in the Greek that, that idea of your faith in reality, because there is the um, there is the definite article uh, in that uh, in that verse, and I believe it's in the genitive. It's um, it's all tied together. The faith yours. Now the faith. Um, there's a designation that we'll I'm going to deal with today a little bit. There's a, the faith, and then there is your faith. But you see, your faith is rooted in the faith. It's as simple as that. So when we read this, uh, we wonder, are, are, what did they see in this? Did, did they understand that uh, they were concerned about their place, their position, their standing fast in the faith once delivered, that everyone understood that term. And that condition, of course, affects how their faith personally was was being um, experienced. So, let's move on. <clears throat> um, I, I believe we, we have a, we, we can express it that way concerning the faith yours. Um, matter of fact, I think, I'm not sure if the your is, is plural. Yes. It is plural. So now that, see, that is referring to those uh, there, not just one person, but, but all of them. The faith of you all. The faith, yeah, of you all. So even though we don't put that there, I think it should be there as far as the definite article goes, which gives us the idea of what it is truly we're talking about. The faith once delivered, that's the key. We can't forget that this area, this was a, <laughs> this was a pagan area that these people were, were living in and what they had come out of. That's right. This faith that they have belongs to the faith in Christ Jesus. That's right. That's why, that's why that article and and all the things that they had heard expressed 
by the apostle and the evangelist to uh, bring them to conversion, to put aside their their pagan ways and and seek God and seek salvation through his son, the faith in Jesus, if you will. I found it interesting that this is this word for comfort is the Paracletes word. And that, that oh. says a great deal about Timothy and his relationship to you know, in the ministry of Paul and the apostles overall. That's right. That that's um to call near, of course, invoke um, consolation which is is true but it isn't the true really uh if you want to look at the the deep look at what that word means um he's coming to them not with his ideas yeah not with an idea of some organization but he's coming to to them with in the spirit of Christ with the words of the apostles to encourage them. By the way, nothing has been done away with that we shouldn't be doing exactly the same thing today. So, yeah, the good call there. Um, <clears throat> so, let's read on from uh, verse 2. Because because of verse 1, he, he says this, And did send Timothy, our brother, and a ministrant of God and our fellow workmen in the good news of Jesus of, of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your the faith yours, that no one be moved in these tribulations. For yourselves have known that for this we are set. Now he's speaking about the we there would be the first person plural. He's talking about the apostolic ministry. They are set for tribulations. Why? Because from Jesus sending or affirming the apostolic ministry in Acts chapter 1, it was clear, very clear, that their ministry, their work, would be to represent the Christ himself, unto death itself. It's the martyrdom. That's what the word is there in Acts 1. And and certainly martyrdom was part of being a witness for Christ then and now in many ways. Okay. For even when we were with you, now we see the clear designation here, we said to you beforehand that we are about to suffer tribulation as also it did come to pass, as you have known it. Now, whose tribulation are we talking about here? Of the apostles and the ministry of the apostles. Okay, let's get it clear. When we see a we there, we're not talking about everybody. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the reason why they're in Athens now. Or right. why Paul's in Athens. Remember, there comes a point when they can do a lot of work, but sometimes they need to leave an area. 
uh, or they would not be able to escape. And when they do, they're worried about who they leave behind. I understand that, and so we should. Okay. Because of this also, so because of these facts, friends, it says, because of these things also, I no longer forbearing, he could no longer put off or, or keep from acting, did send to know your faith, lest he who is tempting did tempt you, and in vain might be our labor. Verse 6, And now, Timothy, having come unto, unto us from you, and having declared good news to us of your faith and love, and that you have a good remembrance of us always, Desiring much to see us, as we also to see you. All right. Now, quickly, let's let's just kind of look over these verses. Paul sent Timothy to the Thessalonian brethren to encourage them in the faith, and of course, to help each one and encourage each one there in their personal faith according to their faith being according to the faith once delivered. See, that's the point. The standing fast in the faith once delivered. Well, there's an about to. Yes. <laughs> we should suffer tribulation as we are about to suffer, suffer tribulation. It was at hand. And uh, and Young catches it and translates it properly. Although I've noticed that uh, that's not the norm. In verses 3 and 4, afflictions were coming upon those in Thessalonica. They, they were promised that there would be a, a, affliction, there would be persecution, uh, because... It, it was going to come on the entire Christian world in the years to come, uh, gradually, depending on the attitude of Rome, depending on the, the Judaizers, and depending on the vicious nature of the Jews in trying to oppress Christianity. So these things were a real element. All right. But also that that the apostles and the apostolic minister was being was going to be uh, and had been actually persecuted. These things they had known, they had been told. He's reminding them of that. But these things must come upon the body of Christ. Apostle made it clear that these things are to come, and and they will continue to come, and they still are coming today. First, of course, they came upon the the apostles, and then the the evangelists, and then upon the brethren that were converted because of of the words of the apostolic ministry. 
And this is just as Paul had taught them these things were to come. And because of that, of course, he's worried about persecution. He's also worried about the tempter, the the adversary, uh, the accuser of the brethren, if you will, stirring up trouble in the spiritual realm, uh, making it move into the physical realm as he did to to be a real problem for these people. They're worried about this, and they had good reason. And then he reemphasizes, for this reason, because of his concern for them, his love for them, he sent Timothy to see how they were doing, to encourage them to stand fast in the faith. The question was, had the tempter, Satan, been successful? Because he knew the inroads were, were trying to be made by the prince of darkness, if you will, in, in those days. Was their efforts in vain? In other words, was the preaching of the gospel in vain and they had lost their faith? This was the question and this is why Timothy went. And we want to say, no, it wasn't. But they didn't know until verse 6. It says, but Timothy returned with good news of their faith and love. Not only their faith, but also their love. even sending their greetings and, of course, hoping to see each other soon. And they wanted to see the apostle and, and, and the evangelist and those that traveled with him. They wanted to see them again, just as the, the apostle Paul wanted to see them again. It was normal, a normal situation uh, to be doing this. This answers... Part of you know the question is in our uh, the third point of our thing to understand the emotional atmosphere of the church in Thessalonica and the and the Apostle Paul and those with him and not only this church in Thessalonica but this is the relationship that we find in all of the churches founded in in the first century that those that had founded these these congregations that can, brought the good news. They were concerned of these of these people, their well-being. We're not talking about their physical well-being as much as we're talking about their spiritual well-being. That's number one. Their physical well-being is also a concern. And it also was attended to many times. Just as the apostles themselves, they didn't come with they weren't funded by a missionary group somewhere, sending them uh, funds and keeping them in uh, new this and new that. They were out, they were dealing with these things on faith. And of course, they were supported by Christian people in, in various places. But in, in, the, in the method in which God had established for the church, freely given, freely given. Uh, in a joyful way, not under compulsion to do so, but freely given for the right reason. 
Timothy returned with the good news concerning this group, and I, I imagine as soon as he found out and all was well and he did the best he could for them, he, he got right back with them because he knew they were waiting for an answer to this. You know, it's hard for us to understand that when you're separated from somebody in, in, in the first century A.D., until you see them again, or you receive some sort of uh, messenger or letter, you don't know anything about what's happening. I don't know if we could tolerate that today in our society. You know, we're flooded with everybody's information all the time, which is, I think, leads to making it uh, desensitizing us to information in general, good or bad. But not, not then. Oh no, they were they were waiting, and they were concerned. Now the last section is a little more expressive, I think, verses seven through thirteen um, this morning. And let's read it, uh, and then talk about the the important things within it. And there are some very important things for us to understand so that we can understand it as they did. And he goes again, another because of this. Uh, This is a very progressive statement. One thing leads to another. Therefore, yes, through this, which is Very expressive, right. Because of this, we were comforted, brethren. He wants them to know that this news was a comfort to them. Over you. In all our tribulation and necessity. In other words, even though they were in tribulation and had great needs, It was through your faith that they received the comfort and the joy that that they experienced. Even though things were not great for them, this was a wonderful thing for them to hear. I think we can understand that. And, And I think that would have encouraged the people when they received this, they knew that their standing fast was indeed a blessing to those that had come to them with the gospel and in, and emboldened them to go forth and, and speak more everywhere they could go. And that was verse 7. And it goes on in verse 8. Because now we live. Some of our translations put the word really live. In other words, trying to put a very demonstrative idea on this. Now we live if you may stand fast in the Lord. By the way, I noticed in the Greek the definite article is not there. It doesn't need to be because the Lord uh, is known. Uh, when, When he says Lord, they know who he's speaking of. Now, 
The we live, of course, is in reference to the apostles once again, the apostolic ministry. And the standing fast, that word, that Greek word, has, has a way of stick uh, uh, it, uh, has an idea of, of being stationary, not, not moving, persevering. Um, and the King James uses the expression stand fast which in our English, we understand that that's what that means. But, friends, standing fast in Lord, in, in the Lord Jesus is not as easy as it is to say or read, is it? Because things and the tribulation that would come to them um, in the years to come, as a matter of fact, when the armies of Rome left um, the uh, left the West and traveled through Asia Minor uh, and uh, and Achaia in the northern parts, the Jews and the Christians, who the Romans considered just Jews of a different sect, were violently persecuted and killed. And many of them did depart the faith to save themselves during those years. And these years were years to come. In the uh, 60s, actually, uh, when Nero sent Vespasian to to go to Jerusalem, on the way he did this uh, everywhere he went. Uh, the war was against the Jews. Wherever they found Jews, wherever, not just Palestine, wherever they found them, encountered them, they tried to dispatch all they could. So this is what was coming in the years to come to the to the church in uh, Thessalonica and all the all the the churches in uh, in Rome. And, and points to the east all the way down into Palestine and in, even into uh, Egypt. So, <clears throat> this is, uh, we have to look at it, we have to look at it as the things that were coming to them that are, are being expressed here and they're being warned of. And if you are, if you're standing fast, if you re, if you continue to stand fast, if you if this is your who you become, you will stand fast, and it will be uh, who you are instead of something that you can just set aside. So that's what he wanted for them. Now let's read on, verse nine. For what thanks? Are we able to recompense to God for you? For all the joy which, with which we do joy because of you in the presence of our God. So they had great joy because of the, those that had converted and become one with Christ. Verse 10. Night and day exceedingly beseeching that we might see your face and perfect the things lacking in your faith. 
Now they were praying that they would have another time to, to be there to visit with them so they could encourage them, fellowship with them, yes. But if there were things lacking in their understanding, in their faith, that would help to build their faith, they wanted to add, that's what the word perfect means, it means complete, uh, deliver the total, complete message, if you will, might perfect, fullness of. And, um, of course, friends, this was, this was what the first century church need, needed then. And believe me, we, the church and the brethren in Christ have needed this perfecting, this completeness, this fullness, all from every, from every day from that time period on, including right now. The things lacking in our faith, we want to have them. We need them. And as we look at God's Word, this is how we not only discover them, but this is how we retain them and how we can stand on them. And as I said, the longer that we stand, the, the more that we understand, the better we can be at it. That was verse 10. Verse 11, And our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. So they are saying, if it be the will of the Father and the Lord himself to direct them uh, to back to them, so be it. But remember, they do not do it just... Uh, just as they sit down in a committee and do as they please. They are being led by the mind of Christ. That's what the apostolic ministry is, friends. It's the presence, the paracletes of, of the Lord himself in a spiritual sense, present with the apostles to give them the mind of Christ that they will go in the right direction, that they will be reminded of everything Jesus said, that they will have the understanding of the Scriptures, the Old, the Old Testament as we call it, that they can prove that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Son of God, the Jewish Messiah, and the Lord of all, and Savior of all that will come to him. Verse 12, and, the, and you, the Lord caused to increase and to abound in the love to one another and to all, even as we also to you. That, By the way, that encompasses, encompasses everyone. Okay? They were to love one another within the brotherhood there and to all. That means to the, the men and women around them, everywhere they're at, even as we also to you. That's the idea of Christianity, friends. It's not, as the Calvinists say, only to those who have been appointed for salvation. No. 
No, we are, salvation is in Christ. If you want an appointment, that's where the we're called to Christ, to be come to Christ for salvation. But it, it's to all. If you love all, you will you will have the idea, and you will there will be nothing to stop you from sharing salvation in Christ with the all. And the all is a big group. At least tell them. Then it then uh, upon them falls the the goal or the task, if you will, of making a decision according to. The gospel, and by the way, the gospel is the power, is the very power of God unto salvation. So, now, the last verse that we find reads this way. To the establishing your hearts blameless in sanctification before our God and Father. Uh, there's also an idea of holiness in there that may, that's in the Greek. In the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, I think we've talked about these verses, all of them, except for verse 13 which, of course, is another reference unto the, uh, when we find the word in Young's, he uses the word presence. The Greek word, of course, is, uh, is clear to us in this passage. It is the word parousia. So it's not the word coming, that which would be a verb, typically, this is a noun, feminine, and it's a singular because it's a singular event and it's dative. Point in time, right? That's for concord with the in. It's in concord, yes. Okay. In the present. And that is the the understanding, and and that presence we're gonna we're gonna look at that. Verse thirteen speaks of the condition of those in the assembly before God. That condition is to be what blameless in sanctification, being holy as God is holy before our God. In other words, you see. The church is in the presence of God. It's before God. God sees them. And he knows them. Their condition is very important because when the event arrives, when the event is coming, by the way, and I would say, and I don't know how anyone could not say that this is written to them, in in a way that they would have understood that this event is in their future because of the conditions, the nearness of it, not only 
the idea of his presence, and they understood that the parousia at the end of the age, the end of the Jewish age, they understood that. But also it adds with all his saints. Oh my. You see, now we've qualified it. Now, because the event is a, is a single event. And we're going to find that this, uh, with all his saints, is the qualifier for this being the parousia. There aren't many parousias. There is the parousia. is spoken of um, in the Old Testament at the end of the age and the things that will come, both, uh, both reward and punishment. Of course, we're talking about the Jewish people here, but we're now we're also talking about all those the others that have died in Christ in this 40-year buffer, if you will, between the Prussia and, and the, the ascension of Christ. There's a buffer in there where there, were, there are Jews and Gentiles that would come to Christ, that would die in Christ, and that would return with him. And more about that, of course, in the weeks to come. But here's the point I want to make this morning before we run out of time. The promised event, that is the parousia, the promised event both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let's look at Matthew 24, verse 34 through 37 to start with. Because the apostles, even before uh, the crucifixion of Christ, were asking about this age, this fullness of the age, this time when the presence of the Lord would would be amongst the, the Jewish people. But Here Jesus is speaking, and this is Matthew 24, where he's telling the apostles all the things to be looking for as signs uh, in the passing of time, the things to look for that that will be able to tell them the nearness and the closeness, and it's at hand, it's it's, uh, close at hand, and and the hour is near, if you will. This is the idea. But Jesus said to them, Verily I say to you, this generation may not pass away till all these may come to pass. All the things that he had spoke about before in the previous 33 verses in this chapter. The heavens, actually in all of chapter 23 too, verse 35, The heavens and the earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And the heavens and the earth there are in reference to all that was Judaism, all that was of the first covenant, and the covenant that that was uh, that was in place at that time. Sun, moon, and stars. Sun, moon, and stars representing the people involved. Heavens and earth, heaven and earth, Jerusalem and Judea, or Jerusalem and uh, uh, and Judea also part of that, they're going to pass away. 
but my word shall not pass away. In other words, there's something that follows that, friends. And concerning that day, here's the key I want to get across today. And I couldn't remember where this verse was. I had to ask somebody to look on their phone and find the phrase. And concerning that day and the hour, no one, by the way, no one means no one at all, no man or woman, and not even in the heavenly realm. No one hath known the day or the hour, not even the messengers of the heavens, that is the angels, except my Father only. By the way, are we missing the the Son here in this? I think that's either Luke or Mark. I'm sure it was in the Greek that I read this morning. Okay. In Mark, the 13th chapter, verse 32, it says, And concerning that day and the hour, no one hath known, not even the messengers who are in the heaven, not even the Son, except the Father. In other words, the idea is you could say no one but the Father, Mm -hmm. and it would mean everyone else. It's just that here we find things are laid out in more categories, if you will. Not even the Son. Jesus didn't know the day, but he did know the seasons. He did know all the things that must come to pass. But the Father has set a date. By the way, in, uh, I believe it's in uh, Acts chapter 17, where the apostle says that God has set a date. The apostles preached that the Father in heaven had set a date for this event, the parousia. And it was not known by anyone until that that hour and day came. Now let's look at another, another scripture here. In Revelation 11, that fits with this, chapter, or, uh, Revelation 11, chapter 11, verse 15 through 19, all right. <clears throat> this is uh, dealing with the the uh, the, uh, the vials, if you will, uh, the the woes rather. The third woe had uh, had come, 
And the seventh messenger did sound, and there came great voices in the heaven, saying, listen to these words, the kingdoms of the world did become those of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign to the ages of the ages. That reminds me of the... uh, Mandel's song, He Shall Reign Forever and Ever, as it says, goes over and over many times. This is this is the event. This is what happened at the Perusia. Things changed. The kingdoms of the world were were completely uh, became overpowered by those of our Lord and of his Christ. That is the Father in heaven and his Son. And he shall reign. I'm going to read on. And the 24 elders who before God are sitting upon their thrones did fall upon their faces and did bow before God. You see, even in the heavenlies, this event is the event. This is a change of order. This is what happened and God has said, Behold, I make all things new. Saying, We give thanks to thee, O Lord God, the Almighty, who art and who wast and who art coming, because thou hast taken thy great power and didst reign. In other words, he has taken the reins of power at this time, the kingdom of God. And the nations were angry. And thine anger did come in the time of the dead to be judged and to give the reward to thy servants, to the prophets, to the saints, and to those who, fearing thy name, to the small and to the great, and to destroy those who are destroying the land. An opening was the sanctuary of God in the heaven. In other words, they could see into the sanctuary. And there was seen the ark of his covenant in his sanctuary. And there did come lightnings and voices and thunders and earth and an earthquake and great hail. This was coming upon the 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 men of the world. This was happening in Jerusalem. If you read Josephus, you'll find the the events of the the time period in Jerusalem during this Roman battle and, and the battle of the Jews and these the earthquakes and the hail and the and the carnage in Jerusalem was such that would had never been before and never will be again. That's how it's expressed, even by Josephus and the scriptures, of course. Jesus said it himself. Now, the word kingdom there is the word cosmos. And it's better translated age. But it really means the order of the worldly governments of men and their customs, all that is set in place as way as government 
upon the earth, all of that became subject to the kingdom of God and his son. These things have been replaced spiritually with the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of his father. All these things fit together. The time period is what is the, the, the crux here. When was the parousia? Well, we, we find these things all through the, the Old Testament. Friends, the time period has to be within the time period of the covenant with the Jews. When, when did this covenant come to an end? Well, if you ask the man on the street, they wouldn't. They see either I don't know, or the Jews still are have their covenant. That's because there's things that's still lacking in our faith that needs perfected. <laughs> there's there's the lacking that we're looking looking to solve. Okay, that's right. You know, it's straight. This you you could take this whole chat if you cut chat, verse thirteen out of this chapter, you wouldn't get a soul to misinterpret these pronouns and who they belong no. to. And that's so crucial going forward uh, into chapter 4. But, but here, uh, he's, this whole letter has been so intimately personal. It is, and it's so well Paul laid out. <laughs> he's talking to these people. He's talking to people like we're talking now. It's not, that's right. He's not, he's not on Twitter just proclaiming something to the world, you know, it's... He meant he means every word he says. He doesn't he doesn't waste words. And we're not giving dates here, are we? You see, it's silly for us to be giving dates, but you see, we have all of the evidence, friends. We have all of the evidence. Not only all the things written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and Revelation, we have all of that plus and, and all of that together gives us the time period. We're speaking of the end of the Jewish covenant. There was no longer a need for a Jewish covenant no. because the sin issue had been paid in full. There was no longer the need for the Jewish religious ceremonies because those things were now in the past. Then God remembered the sin of man no more through the blood of his Son. Behold, I create all, I make all things new. If we don't believe that, then we're going to have a lot of trouble with this. We're still waiting for something that God has already accomplished. But, until we all come to the the uh, understanding of this we will not have the union or the unity in the faith but that doesn't mean that a person's faith in Christ as their savior is invalid because they don't believe what i just said concerning the end of the jewish covenant the scriptures and god himself is patient patiently waiting the understanding of these things and for each person to go to his word, be blessed in it, 
and blessed through it for understanding and for the truth. Just as Jesus said, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we understand that, we know that what we have written, what has been written and preserved for us, is where we find the answers. So we have, as this chapter ends, we have another statement concerning the parousia. And the, and the inference is clear that these people would experience it, some of them. Even if they died in Christ, they would still experience it. And if they were alive and well, they would know of its occurrence through all the evidences they have. All right. We're going to pause right there today and pray you have a blessed week to come in your task for the Lord. And we ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.